Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Thanks, Chairman. Here you go, hot tea. Thanks, Ashley. Ready to go. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Dom Russo and I'm really grateful for the chance to be doing this teaching series, kind of a video teaching series on the Bible. And to kind of begin this conversation and to tell you a little bit more about who I am, I want to tell you a story. And it's a story that really transformed and impacted my view of what I thought the Bible was or wasn't. And it happened when I was 14 years old. Early in my teens, my family experienced this uh, new interest in religion, in faith, uh, I grew up in primarily a Roman Catholic context. My family was ex exploring Protestantism, and it created incredible tension in my family, like maybe some of you have experienced. And I remember one time in this heated debate with, with a family member, one of my uncles decided that he was so upset at the, the disagreements that he took the Bibles in his house and he threw them in the fireplace and he burned the Bible. And I remember being both shocked and overwhelmed and thinking, can you actually burn the Bible? Like, is there a curse related to burning a Bible? Like, how does this even work? Because I had understood the little that I knew at the time that the Bible is the Word of God. And so I'm not sure the kind of questions or experiences you think of when you think of the Bible. But one of the things that's very, very clear is that so many people, both Christians and non-Christians or people of other religions, often have questions about the Bible. And so I thought, you know, maybe for the next four weeks, we can dive into this conversation where you can grow in your understanding of the Bible. And my hope is that as we talk about this and as you listen to this, that you would kind of develop this new confidence, this new sense of trust of wanting to read the Bible more consistently, because in a sense, that's one of the biggest challenges we face. And many statistics show that even though Christians and people of faith believe that the Bible is important, they rarely read it, which is shocking. Shocking to me, might be shocking to you. And so one of the things like, I want to just begin with is just to tell you the goal of this series is that you would desire to want to read the Bible more regularly because that's the primary way we grow and understand who Jesus is and who Jesus is calling us to be. And so my hope is that if you're watching this maybe and this is new to you, you would do two things. You would find a Bible that you like or is very easy for you to understand because at times throughout the series, I will reference the Bible. And so you can either pause this if you're watching it in a small group setting or just write it down if you're in a church setting and you can read those passages later or you know follow along with me and also I want to encourage you to maybe grab a notepad that it might just help you to write your own questions or or write some thoughts down and just to help you think more clearly about what you believe about the Bible now I remember early on as I was asking questions about the Bible that I kind of felt like I wasn't allowed to do that I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Like, you feel like that there's some questions that you have that you internalize your whole life. You just never ask them. Because if somebody thought, knew you had those questions, you would feel shame or you would feel embarrassed. And, and I need to tell you a little bit about this because as a pastor and a church planter, one of the things that I experience the most is, is seeing people ask questions and not feel shamed and not feel embarrassed. And some of the questions that they have are so important. Some of the questions you have about God and about the Bible are just so important. And, and I have a saying that I kind of use and I've developed over the years. Maybe it's helping me lead in the context of our church and maybe it'll help you. And here, here's the saying, that when we give people the safe space to ask questions about their faith, they're less likely to leave their faith. Like, just think about that. 
that sometimes just creating the space for people to listen and for you to listen to somebody's question helps them just grow in their faith and not feel like that when they have a question and it doesn't all fit together in their minds, they have to kind of walk away from the faith and, and they realize, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Over the years, the statistics on the Bible are staggering and how people either wrestle with Scripture or don't read the Scripture. So I'm not sure what your questions are, but maybe if you take a minute even now or throughout this video series and just write them down. What are some questions you have? Maybe questions about whether the Bible is really the Word of God. Like, don't other religions have books that they call the Word of God? Or whether the Bible is even reliable for today. I mean, we have science and we have all kinds of learning. Like, can we really trust the Bible in every way? Or is there room for us to discern different ways of understanding the Bible, which is what this series is about? Years ago, Faith Today, it's, it's a magazine, primarily in Canada, and, and it addresses statistics and, and different perspectives that people have about the Bible. And one of the things that Faith Today was talking about is really this crisis of people not trusting the Bible anymore and actually not reading the Bible anymore, which is a big deal, especially if you're a pastor like me. Uh, I've spent most of my life helping people care about wanting to learn the Bible, wanting to hear from God through the scriptures and through what God has done through history because of what the Bible uh, means to us. And one of the statistics that Faith Today uses is staggering. And this is what they, they showed in one, of their, in one of their studies and statistics. I'm just going to read it for you. It says this, that what was shocking about the study was that the decline in reading the Bible was even sharper among older people than youth. I mean, I, mean, I read this study and I thought, wait a second, like for the longest time, I thought like it's the young people with their technology. I mean, that's why they're not reading the Bible. It's younger people because they're busy with life and, you know, they're into video games and the internet makes them not care about the Bible. But the truth is, whether you're young or whether you're old, at some point something has happened in our culture that's made us slowly think that reading the Bible and understanding the Bible in a new way is just not important anymore. This is a crisis for the church. This should feel like a crisis for those of us who care about passing on the faith to the next generation, making sense of who we are as Christians in a changing world, in a secular culture. And, and some of these themes will come up as we go through the sessions together. I'll share some stories about my experience as a pastor in, in Quebec, in a province that definitely feels like the future of, of the questions related to religion and faith. But to begin, I want to do something that might sound surprising, is I want to take you back to the Bible. I actually want to take you to a place in the Bible where Jesus begins to introduce to his earliest followers that they're going to need a new perspective on the Bible, that they're going to need like a new lens to not only understand what God was doing in the past, but what God was about to do in the future. And, and I want you to think about the Bible as this book that holds intention, both the past and the future together. And the person who holds, the person who's the glue of this tension is Jesus. He's actually going to say things about the story of Israel and about the, the scriptures, which are the Hebrew Bible, that are going to make people so upset, and we're going to look at that in the next few sessions. But at one point, he begins to help his followers understand that his, his birth, his life, his death, and then his resurrection were about to reorient their whole lives. We're about to change everything they ever thought about who he was and who God was. Now, if you're new and maybe you're watching this uh, at a church or maybe with, with a friend or in a small group setting, and all of this is brand new to you, maybe you've never read the Bible, you know very little about Jesus, no worries. I don't want you to feel that you're going to get lost or this is not for you or you need to be at a certain level spiritually to understand this. I'm going to do my best to just walk us along together so that if you're a real mature Christian 
or if you're really just kind of just beginning this journey of questioning the Bible or wondering about God and whether God wants to speak to you, that you would be just open to learning because the experience of having to learn kind of in a fresh way was the experience that the first followers of Jesus had to experience. It was that moment where they're realizing we believe in Jesus, we understand he's changed everything, but we're not sure how all of this fits together. Like we love him, we're, we're ready to sacrifice for him, but really like he said certain things that we don't always understand. Now there's this gospel writer and his name is Luke and he wasn't one of the earliest followers of Jesus, but he, he starts to write fairly early on about the experiences that he's learning about related to Christianity in the first century. And at one point, at the end of his, of his letter, this gospel, it's called the Gospel of Luke. If you're looking it up in the Bible, uh, you know, you can look it up. At the end of his, of his letter, Luke tells us this profound story that I want to maybe like shape the whole video series for us, is that he tells the story of these two uh, figures, these two important people, and the story is called The Road to Emmaus. It's this encounter that Jesus has with two, two people in the Bible who've decided that they're not sure anymore what they're going to believe about God and about Jesus. So let me give you kind of a context for the story so you understand like the bigger picture. That always helps. And here's the context. That Jesus has just died and the followers of Jesus are disoriented, afraid, and unsure about how they've spent or maybe wasted three years of their life following this guy who now is dead. And can you imagine... Like, I think of times in my life where if I, if I waste, like, a day of the week, I feel like, did I just waste a whole day, like, playing video games? Like, or whatever. Did I just waste, like, a whole weekend binging Netflix? And what's profound in this moment, when you, when you kind of read it, you realize that as Jesus is with them, he's living in their anxiety and in their pain. They're so disappointed that the person they followed for three years is dead. And at one point, Jesus shows them, the Bible says from the scriptures, from Moses and the prophets, that the writings of Israel were meant to speak about him. They still don't know who he is. They still don't know that he's Jesus, now resurrected from the dead, alive among them. Jesus, for some reason, delays revealing all of that to them, even though he's teaching them already how to learn to return to the Bible, to return to the story of Israel, and to read it in a new way now. To see in it the beauty of the resurrection in the great story of Israel. And you'll be shocked that as you read through that story and you feel the tension of why wouldn't Jesus just tell them who he is? Why wouldn't Jesus just get over it and, and, and kind of surprise them so they're not living in the discouragement and the anxiety and the disappointment that he's dead? They still don't know he's alive. And at one point in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that when Jesus goes to have a meal with them, he breaks bread. And it's in that moment that they realize for the first time that it's him. I mean, I, the Bible doesn't kind of explain all of the details of what happens. Like, I think I'd be crying. I think I'd be laughing. I think I'd be jumping if I wasn't contained by the space. I, th I think I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're the guy, you're alive? I mean, this is one of the first moments that we realize that the resurrection of Jesus gives us a new lens on how to read the Bible. And the person to teach us this is Jesus himself. That Jesus teaches us how to, begin our interactions with the Bible by reminding us that his life and death and resurrection are the new lens that he's giving his followers 
to use as a framework to understand the importance of the scriptures. He doesn't say to them, hey, because I'm alive and because I've resurrected, don't read them anymore. He doesn't say, oh, they don't really matter anymore. Like, I'm just the only thing that matters. He says, no, you're going to have to hold together that I matter more than anything. And Christians often use the phrase of Christ alone, which is this beautiful Reformation line, which is this line of in Christ alone, that because of Christ, everything holds together because of Jesus. But now in Luke chapter 24, Jesus makes it very serious for them that they're going to have to do something that we all have to do. That they're going to have to go back and reread the scriptures, reread their Bible, and hear it and see it and understand it in a new way. And there's one passage that I want to just read as we kind of wrap up our first session that really points this out in a beautiful way. It's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible about the Bible. And it's found in the book of Timothy. Now, if you've never heard of the book of Timothy or, or know the book of Timothy, uh, it's, it's a letter written to a young pastor, young we don't know his exact age, but he's a pastor and Paul writes to him. And this is what he says to him. He says, all scripture is breathed or in the King James, the word is inspired out by God. It's breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness and in right living. That the man of God, the man or the woman of God may be, be complete, equipped, for every good work. That's found in the book of 2 Timothy. And, and I don't know if you, you kind of felt that. Maybe you've heard that passage. Maybe you've used that passage. Maybe you've heard someone preach about it already. That all of the scriptures are God-breathed. That one of the first words given to us for how to understand these writings is that God is like breathing life through these pages so that we would experience life in our lives. Think of it that way. But I want to tell you something important. This is maybe going to be harder to understand, so I'm going to slow it down. That when Paul writes to Timothy and he references that all of Scripture is God-breathed, he's talking about the Old Testament. The reason for this is that the New Testament doesn't exist yet. Like that the writings of the New Testament that we call the New Testament of the church that we use actually are not there yet the way we have them. Letters are maybe being written and, and passed on. But what Paul is saying is don't forget that even the Hebrew story of Israel, even that's still God-breathed and important for us to live in the truth of now that Jesus, the resurrected one, the one who's alive, who by his spirit will help us understand how the story of Israel and our story and the story of the people of God all fit together. Now, whenever I'm in the habit of being like, oh, you know, that part I don't like and this part I don't like, Paul just I'm almost like punches you in the face, right? Like all of scripture... And in a few sessions, I'm going to show you how the New Testament is also going to kind of be attached to this. All of Scripture now needs to be trusted as, as best, the best way to say it, as if it's being breathed by God, like given to us by God. And the word inspired is a good word. It's a word we use often in English. Inspiré, even I think of the French translation, is that to breathe into something and to give it life. Right, that God breathes into something and gives it new life. Now, think about this, especially you mature Christians. When you hear the idea of God breathing into something and giving it life, what comes to mind? What story of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament should come to mind right away? Even if you don't know where it's found, or you should. The beginning of the Bible. That the first time we see God breathing into something is breathing into humankind. That the language of the New Testament is connecting the story of the beginning of creation. That just as God was breathing life into humanity, into people, 
He now is breathing new life through those who read and live and kind of you feed on the scriptures in which God is living in. You know, if there's areas in your life that have felt dead, dry, you've set aside and have ignored, can I just encourage you that in this first session that you would believe that God wants to breathe new life into them. That he does this by the power of his spirit as we let the scriptures come alive in us. And whenever the scriptures come alive in us, this is important, we always are stirred to want to be more like Jesus. Always. No one just gets the Bible to have more knowledge about the Bible. We, we get the Bible as a way that the spirit awakens in us that God is breathing living life in us through the writings and the message and the life of the resurrected Jesus. What areas of your life need to be brought back to life? What areas are just so dry? Maybe it's a relationship, it's your marriage, it's your church context that feels like, ah, oh, things are just not working. And God wants to bring new life into all of that. And I just encourage you that as we go through these sessions, that you would just be open to letting God do that? Is it going to be painful? You better believe it. Is it going to be scary? Yeah, you can imagine. The disciples have to reread and rethink what they thought the Bible was for. It's going to be very painful and difficult. And there's going to be times where, especially in the next few sessions, it's going to get really heady. That means you're going to have to think. And if you're looking for a church that doesn't have to think at all or use their minds, then you came to the wrong faith. Because in Christianity, we're commanded to love God with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. So we're going to have to do that. And so as, as I close, I just want to give you some homework. Very, very simple. I want you to think about areas of your life that God can bring to life again. And I also want to give you this very simple grid. And I want between this session and the next session, and if you're binge watching it, slow down and do this, okay? Is I want you to think of approaching the Bible and the three different ways that we often approach the Bible. Okay, there's three common ways that people often approach the Bible. And I want to tell you the three ways. And then for your homework, I want you to place yourself in one of those ways. I want you to do the be your best at trying to situate yourself in which of these ways best represents where you are in your relationship with God today. The first approach, or the first way that people approach the Bible, is they read the Bible primarily for themselves. So it's reading the Bible so I can understand me better. And almost all of us, no matter who you are, whether you're a mature Christian, whether you're just new Christianity, we actually all begin our experience with the Bible that way. I'll tell you a funny story that my first encounter with the Bible, when I was in those teenage years, when I was really, really young, I, I could hardly really read or understand imagery or metaphor or the complexities of stories, you know, but I just wanted to read the Bible because it was important. I understood it was important. My interest, my own personal interest was about the end of the world. I had heard this preacher come to our church and talk about the end and the end of time and there's a book in the Bible about the end and I was terrified. I was like, this is crazy. Is anyone else scared? So I thought, I'm going to look up in the Bible places where there's a secret about the end. Maybe you've done that before. If you're embarrassed, I'm embarrassed. Whatever. We, we all do it. These ways that we approach the Bible, first approach, primarily for ourselves. It's kind of selfish, but I don't think there's any way around it. 
Like as a pastor over the years, I've, I've worked with young adults, I've been on a university campus, and I've kind of even served here in our context. One of the questions that's most personal and almost like selfish in some ways is people have a question about dating. They'll ask me, oh, what does the Bible say about dating? I need to find the right guy or the right girl to marry, and I, I want to know what the Bible says, which is such a beautiful thing to want to have God's discernment for the most important relationship in your life, right? One of the most important relationships. And so it breaks my heart when I tell them, the Bible says nothing about dating. And they're like, what? How is this the word of God? No, obviously the Bible has principles for how we figure out how to find the right person to live with and marry, right? So there, there's a framework for that. But the context of the first century is pretty much arranged marriage. So people just kind of, they, married, they got married in a different way. So you see how many of us, if we're not careful, that method becomes the first approach and the only approach we use when we read the Bible. It's for me, when I want, at my convenience. We begin there. It's maybe the first step to getting to the Bible, but we can never stay there. And so in the next few sessions, I'm going to gently encourage you to not be there. But maybe just if you're going to be honest, remember your homework, is to admit that maybe that's just where you are. And it's okay. But just make a commitment that you're just not going to stay there. Now, the second approach are people who begin to read the Bible, and this has happened to me as well, they begin to read the Bible and study the Bible to fall more in love with the Bible. Like, this is always a fascinating thing that happens. It's like they start to read the scriptures and they start to learn about the Bible and they love languages and they love history and they love all this stuff. And, and they stay at a place where they read the Bible for the sake of the Bible. Because I, I did some of my studies in history and theology and, and ended up doing a PhD in, in church history as well. Like, I've met a lot of profs and some great profs that I had who were great students of the Bible. Like they read the Bible, they understood the languages and archaeology and history, but they just stayed there. Like the Bible was just a book. So we move from some people approach the Bible for themselves, a question that they have. Others approach the Bible to just love more of the Bible. But the Bible teaches us that there's a third way and the most mature way that all of us should be moving towards which is that we approach the Bible so that we can hear Jesus more clearly and fall more in love with Jesus. That when we read the Bible, because it's living, it draws us to hear ourselves being called by Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and to want to be more like him. And so if we're not careful, we can confuse reading the Bible for the Bible's sake and never move to the more mature place of saying, how do we read the scriptures and see Jesus alive in them? In the scriptures and even in our lives. So there's your homework. Pretty simple. Just take a few minutes, maybe some prayer time, maybe your devotional time, maybe this week, read through some of the passages. Read Luke 24. Read that experience on the road to Emmaus. And just say, God, I kind of live more in this approach, or I'm trying to move out of this approach into this approach. Or maybe for you, there's no approach. You don't care about the Bible. You've never read it. You don't even have one. Well, today, no matter where you're watching, you can get one. There's free apps online if that could help. If you're part of a church family, just go to one of the leaders and ask them for a Bible. They'd love to give you one for free. And just begin the experience of saying, God, if this is really more than a book, if this is really the way Jesus is still speaking to us today by his spirit in the way the world works, just give me this new love and hunger for what the scriptures mean and how they can transform me. I'm going to close and, and I'm going to end just with a word of prayer. And, and as I pray, I'm going to encourage you to just kind of bow your head and just be really, really open 
at what God might be trying to say to you. And it might be weird, especially if you're not sure what prayer is or you're not sure yet where you're at with this whole Bible conversation. But it's pretty simple. Prayer is just us asking God to kind of meet us where we are and begin to transform us in a deeper way so that we would desire to actually be more like Jesus. So let's just do that. Let's bow together. God, we thank you for uh, the power of your scriptures, the power that throughout history you've been at work speaking to your people through not just any book, but a book that's living and alive and transforming lives. And so I pray that as we begin this first session and as we move into the next sessions, that people would be stirred in their hearts to want to love you more because of their commitment to reading the scriptures. I pray that people, no matter where they're at, those watching on screen, those in a church community, those in a small group, or maybe those just watching alone, they would hear you saying to them that you are the God who takes dead things and brings them back to life. That the areas in their lives that feel dead and feel broken and feel somehow all disoriented, that you, the resurrected Jesus, have a way of coming by your spirit and making things alive again. And we pray that you would teach us how you want to do that as we read the scriptures and as we live the promises of the scriptures. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching. We hope you decide to join us for session two, which, like I said, is going to take us just a little bit deeper. And don't forget, if you do that, just a little bit of homework to just think about where you fit in this whole picture. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, that was awesome. I challenge you to continue with us throughout this series and to lean into what Dom encouraged us with. I, I love his line that when we give people the safe place to ask questions about their faith, they're less likely to leave their faith. So often we're afraid to ask those questions or have maybe our kids ask us those questions, but it's so healthy to do so. And our desire here at The Well is to create a safe place for you to explore Jesus. So go ahead, ask questions, wrestle with it, and let's gather, to get, and let's gather again next week online together as we continue to explore the Bible more than a book. Have a great weekend and a happy Father's Day, and may the grace and peace of Jesus be with you. Amen.